Kia ora, Vainant here from Family Life and welcome back. Uh, this is episode two, season one of the Family Life New Zealand podcast. With me in studio, Nikki Bray. Hi there. How are you doing, Nikki? I'm well, thank you. Good. And Steve Hooper. Hello, hello. Great, Steve. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we are looking at myths. Myths that we sort of believe as we come into marriage. You know, what are they and how can we debunk them, I guess? Yeah, well, that's interesting. So I actually did a bit of homework. Oh, good for you. Teacher would be proud of me. <laughs> um, so this is what the dictionary says about a myth. So mm-hmm. are you ready for it? We're ready. Go. A myth is a widely held but false belief or idea. Mm-hmm. So widely held, believed by most people, but actually it's false. Mm. Yeah. So today we're going to do some myth busters. Hey. <laughs> and and I think this is an interesting one for me because um, I remember my first time I attended Weekend to Remember. This is actually one of the sessions. Mm. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, wow. Yeah, I can see that I subconsciously held on to some of those ideas. I wouldn't say it out loud, mm. but it's sort of stuck away there in your subconscious and it influences our expectations. Mm. On, on our partners. So it's interesting. I think we're going to go through a few of them. We've gone ahead and printed a list of, there's about 15, 20 on here. So we're going to touch on a few of them today and see what it's like. Jesus actually talks about the truth setting you free. And if I had to tie this into the myths area, I think often we're, we're, we are kept captive by the lies we believe. And mm. those lies influence our actions and how we respond to our, our partners. We go into marriage and we think we've got it all figured out, but it's like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan <laughs> until they get punched in the face. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, and it's funny how some of these myths, as I was reading through them, uh, sometimes you go, you get into marriage and you think, oh, this is going to be great until you get punched in the face. Yeah, <laughs> how true. You, you know, with one of these conflicts. Um, mm. So let's jump right into it. I've got one on here. In a good marriage, you'll automatically know each other's thoughts and feelings. If he loved me, then he would know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now that was one of mine. In fact, that was a big one for me. And I vividly remember in our first year of marriage, we'd had a conversation and it was to do with Andy's parents. Uh, Why are the parents always in an argument? Well, not an argument, but you know, they always crop up in that first year of marriage. But we'd been talking about... um, our parents and Andy had had a conversation with his mother and he'd said something I can't remember specifically was what it was but it had upset me and he he knew that so she she'd gone back his parents just to give some context here his parents actually lived in front of us so we were on the same property we had our own home different homes but we were on the same property and it worked beautifully we had great boundaries and good respect so that wasn't the issue but something we'd had this conversation Andy had said something in front of his mum and then she'd gone back home and I was ticked off I was really annoyed I was really upset sounds like me the other day (laughs) oh okay I'm sure it sounds like a lot of people but um, I remember just kind of just for me, my my default would have been with, back then was to withdraw. And so I just withdraw into myself and I'd be kind of quietly banging myself around the kitchen just to let him know that I was a little bit ticked off. And I remember him kind of after a while, after about half an hour, just saying to me, is, every, is everything all right? You know, what, what, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, and by the way, men, if, oh, if a woman, yeah, if she says she's fine, please don't just leave it. Just dig a little deeper. Run. 
but <laughs> run to her, not away from her. How are you? Fine. <laughs> but anyway, he, and I remember, and he was trying to coax me, you know, and, and ask some questions. And I was annoyed that he actually didn't know what was wrong. I, I mean, thought, how could you not know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm thinking, are you dumb or something? You know, and I had this myth, you know, we're, we're these, and, and again, this comes from the culture, you know, we're, a, we're soulmates. He should know what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. The one. <laughs> we'll get onto that later. Yeah. But I was just so mad with him that he did not know, um, one, what he'd done, and secondly, what I needed. And so we had a, a, a in-depth conversation around that. An argument. <laughs> yeah, another word <laughs> for it. And um, we had a good conversation around that. And it came to the fact Andy turned around to me and said, honey, I don't speak woman. I don't speak Nikki language. You have to teach me how to do that. And that means that you have to let me in. You have to be vulnerable with me. You have to tell me. I want to learn, but you've got to, mm. to tell me. And also yeah. you need to tell me what you need. Because at that moment I was actually needing Andy to make me a priority. He was making his parents more of a priority in what was going on at the time. And I needed to feel a priority. Mm. But I was too scared at the time to tell him um, and I was also thinking, he should know that, you know. Yep. Um, and so he said, honey, you've got to tell me. So ladies, tell your husbands what you're thinking. He can't read your mind. I'm going to remember that. <laughs> I don't speak, Al Ray. <laughs> <Exactly>. Please help me. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh, you talk about conflict there and um, here's another interesting one, a myth. If you marry the right person, the relationship will come naturally or easy. Sounds somewhat right, but here's the thing about myths, right? It's not entirely correct. No, there's something there. Yeah. Marrying the right person doesn't necessarily mean things come easy. No, and also, I mean, I'd, I'd turn that round and say it's not so much as marrying the right person because who is the right person? It's, exactly. It's actually about us becoming the right person, and that's a lifelong journey. Yeah. And is there one? I mean, I know in the media and in movies it's portrayed – out there that uh, you mentioned soulmate before, Nikki. And, mm. yeah, a lot of the movies and things seem to portray that there is one right person out there for you. So you mean you there isn't? Do, <laughs> 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 well, well, I'll get to that. But, you know, so as long as we, we do our best to go out and search and find that, you know, the one, and then we marry them and we think, great, I've, I've ticked that off my list, I'm, I'm fine now. And then a, a little while down the track we find we have arguments, we have conflict. And then people think, well, maybe I got the wrong one. Maybe this isn't the one. So they ditch that and, and let's go and find another the right one. So mm. in a way, um, you could almost say, I believe to a certain extent, anybody can marry anybody else. Now, in saying that, I realise that there's going to be some particular couple combinations that are better than others, and some will have a lot more conflict if they're both very uh, strong, opinionated go-getters. They might be butting heads a lot. Two people who are very soft, easygoing, you know, a lot may not get done. But yeah, some relationships have more conflict than mm. others, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. All relationships have conflict. Mm. I think we'll cover that later on. Doesn't mean there's something wrong with your relationship. Exactly. I, I would actually, I would actually, on that, argue that if you end up having a lot of conflict in your relationship, or if you've if you've married the person that you know draws that out, it can be because they're different, mm. and differences mean conflict. Because if we don't agree on something, or if we don't see it from the same perspective, 
then we differ. Then we have conflict. Mm. Then one of us needs to walk around the table and see it from their perspective. Mm. So conflict isn't a bad thing. In fact, conflict actually increases our collective knowledge and our collective strength. Yeah, you've hit on a good point there because I, I know that I struggled in conflict, how I perceived conflict. I thought that conflict was yeah. a bad thing. And because you've married the wrong person. <laughs> There's conflict, <laughs> well, right? <laughs> well, I think I just, I came, this is where you've got to look at your background as well because we bring into marriage a whole lot of baggage with us as well. And so mm. due to my past, I didn't see conflict as an opportunity. I saw it as a, as a terrible thing and that would signal things were not good. Whereas actually if you can change your mindset and say that actually conflict is an opportunity to learn to understand one another better over time, then you approach it with a different mindset. And the goal of marriage isn't to actually become the same and to think the same. No. In fact, that would be incredibly boring in some cases. And yep. I think the thing I loved about Andy, he was very different to me, very passionate young man and, well, older man. <laughs> Um, he, no, not Alderman, that sounds terrible. He was a wonderful man with a lot of skills, life skills, but um, he saw things very, very differently to me with a totally different perspective. And that gave me a broader view on life. He challenged me, he grew me, he he made me feel uncomfortable in some cases, but I became more of a, um, I was going to say rounder, not meaning. <laughs> My I became words. rounder. <laughs> I got married and then I became rounder. <laughs> that works. <laughs> <laughs> but my whole perspective on life deepened, it grew. Mm. And that was the result of, yeah, embracing Of differences mm. and, and probably the way you approached being different. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And not trying to change one another but just accepting. Yeah. Which opens um, up another myth really is that, you know, if we're different then maybe we're not compatible, we're not right for each other. We're actually, differences can be good. It could be good for our relationship. In fact, we'd say that, you know, difference is not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just that we are different. And as I look at my relationship with my wife, Leanne, um, we are very different in a lot of areas. And so you could almost, if you had a list of all the things that I was good at, all the things that Leanne was good at, all the things that I was maybe weak in, the things that she wasn't as strong in, you could look at that and think, gosh, how did these these two ever get together you know how do they make their relationship work but actually it does because the differences you know I have um I have gaps in my relationship and things that I'm not so good at that that Leanne is you know their strengths mm -hmm. for her and so um she can help me on, on the other hand you know there's things that um I'm particularly good at that she's not so good at I can help her so you know, together we, we fill each other's gaps, I suppose. You reminded you like. me of Sylvester Stallone right there. Oh, yes. <laughs> I've got gaps. I've got She's gaps. Got gaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you remember that very old Rocky movie. Yeah, <laughs> I actually just watched it the other day. Oh, good stuff. For the first time. Oh. <laughs> Stallone, Stallone fan. It's great. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being I feel completely connected to my partner and 0 being I feel totally disconnected from my partner, where would you rate yourself right now? There's probably room for growth, right? Why not take some time and actively choose to take your relationship to a 10 by learning how to love and relate to one another on a deeper level. Spend one weekend with us and discover the keys to building intimacy, strengthening communication, handling life's pressures, embracing differences, fighting fair and working through conflict constructively and so much more. You'll laugh a lot, you'll rekindle romance, learn new skills and be better equipped to build a relationship that thrives. 
we can promise you it will be a weekend to remember. You may not reach a 10, but most couples leave on cloud nine. Join us on our next couples retreat. Register today at familylife.nz. We're all familiar with mentoring. It's all about sharing knowledge, skills, and personal experiences to guide another person towards reaching their full potential. It's about investing your time and talents to make a positive difference in the life of another. In a nutshell, it's discipleship at its best. Marriage mentoring is exactly the same, except you're doing it as a couple and you're doing it with a couple. At Family Life, we run an outstanding program to train you to be exceptional marriage mentors. We equip you in the art of asking skillful questions, which then help younger couples grow together and do marriage well. Become a marriage champion for others and register today for our online training at familylife.nz. Here's another one. Ongoing conflict indicates your marriage is in trouble. All issues need resolving. Mm. And I guess that leads on a little bit from what you were saying before, Vane. And But with that one, I, I do think that is a myth because a lot of people do think if we've got an issue coming up, then we've got to resolve it. We've got to get to the bottom of it. But actually research shows that that is not the case. So Dr. John Gottman, who is the guru at the moment for um, marriage research and statistics. The love lab. Yeah, the love right? lab, exactly. <laughs> he actually proved by by studying the studies that he conducted in that love lab that unhappily married couples their conflict is 69% of it is over what he calls perpetual issues. So that means issues that just never go away. They keep coming up. So that's the percentage that unhappily married couples have. Mm -hmm. That's high, 69%. That's that's high. Then they did a study on those that were happily married. And what do you think the percentage was for those of perpetual issues? Probably not that many. No, you'd think so, right? But it's actually... 69%. It's exactly the same. So that tells us that it's not about the actual resolving the conflict. It's how we treat one another while we're having those discussions. Well, that's fascinating. Mm. And isn't that just, um, I guess, God's sense of humor? Because he (laughs) he created marriage, right? He he created people to, well, to be married, man and and, and woman to to be married, but he also created us different. Mm. And then 69% of the th- ways we are different but <laughs> will always conflict. be differences. Yeah. So we'll And isn't that liberating? Because I remember thinking we had issues that kept coming up and I would often look at our marriage and I'd think, we're not getting any better at this. We were, we were arguing about this two years ago, three years ago. And then when I learned that statistics, it was so liberating because I thought, mm. you know what, this is always going to be an issue for us because Andy, <laughs> the one I'm particularly thinking about is our relationship with time. Andy was mm. always running late. And I always say to people, don't use the word always. But in this case, he was always <laughs> running late. And I was always early. And that caused a lot of frustration. It sounds a pathetic thing, but it was true. And then I realized, you know, this is going to be one of those perpetual issues. And mm. we have to learn to navigate it yep. and make it work for us, not against us. Yeah. What about you, Steve? <laughs> What's a perpetual issue you've had? Um, yeah, for us, it's probably... Um, 
parenting is a big one for us. And I know that's another myth too, that a lot of couples think, oh, you know, we're, we're having struggles in our relationship. Maybe if we have a child together, you know, we'll grow close together. Okay. <laughs> so there's another myth. Having kids will bring us closer together. Well, nah. yeah, well, it can. I need a buzzer button. That's right. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's not, uh, you know, get it wrong. We'll be honest here. You know, kids are wonderful things and we certainly encourage people to have children. And boy, we learn a lot as mm. parents, don't we? Um, I used to think that God gave us kids so that we could help them grow up. I think it was the other way around Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I look at how much I've learned over, we've got a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old. Yeah, but some people do think that, oh, the perpetual issue you talked about, Nikki, Mm -hmm. um, let me answer that first. Yeah, it was parenting for us because I tend to be a little bit more laid back. Uh, We had rules and we had boundaries and we stuck to those and they were clear and our kids knew the difference between Mm -hmm. right and wrong and we raised them that way. But myself being a little bit more laid back, I could tend to be a bit more lenient, whereas Leanne, she is um, the rules are the rules, and so you got to obey the rules, and so she would tend to be a little bit more stricter on some things than I would. For example, when our son was small, maybe three, four, five, I mean even before that, he used, used to climb everything. Mm. We went to, well, for one example, we went to a friend's wedding when he was two years old. We'd got to the car park, we were hopping out, and. We turned around and where's our son? Where's Nathan? We looked all around, couldn't find him anywhere. And then we looked up and here he is at the top of the flagpole. He just <laughs> shimmied up his flagpole. I'm thinking, awesome, go for it. <laughs> you know, see how far up you can go. That, that's me. Whereas Leanne's thinking, oh, you've got to come down, you'll hurt yourself, you know, you, you, you'll fall. So it's just those two different parenting approaches. And for us, we've realised, as Nikki said, it's one of those perpetual issues that is not going to be solved overnight, if ever. Yeah. And so we just have to realise, well, okay, how do we deal with these differences that we have in terms yep. of parenting? How do we be together as one yep. unified to these kids that we're raising? Yeah, I think if anything, having kids will probably amplify your differences, mm, not always. necessarily bring you closer together. Yeah. Again, mm. the way you treat the differences will bring you closer together or not. Mm. Vain and I've got one here for you. Yes, okay, go. here's a here's oh. a myth for you. Marriage will be your cure to loneliness. Oh, mm. that's interesting. So I think a lot of people believe if I meet the right person, I'd be, you know, happy. I'd have my soulmate, we'll enjoy life together. But this thing actually came up in a lot of coaching and counseling where couples that have been married for some time may not be close or they may not feel connected. They may actually feel extremely isolated in their marriage. Mm -hmm. The community, the world sees they're married and they're okay. But at home, they, they haven't really found ways to work through their challenges. They haven't found ways to work through their conflicts. So instead of taking the approach of, hey, you're different and yes, we don't agree on this, but I'm going to humble myself and learn from you in this matter or maybe learn from your perspective. They've actually decided maybe we don't talk about these things because we always fight about them. Mm. And so if you're in a relationship where you don't talk about the differences Mm. or the conflicts, Mm. you just end up isolated because that's the thing about marriage, right? It's to know and to be known. Yeah. But if you always choose to not go there because you haven't learned the skill on how to differ or how to deal with conflict mm. in a healthy manner, yeah, you do end up lonely, even though you're married. And people might think, oh, they're so happy. I wish I was married. But yeah, marriage wouldn't 
be the cure for loneliness unless you worked at it. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I know single friends who are getting on in age now who probably at the core of their being would love to be in a relationship, love to be married, and they think that, you know, because they're not, they're experiencing loneliness, and yet some of the loneliest people in the world are married. Mm. And as you say, because they haven't been able to work together through those things and they're not feeling like, well, I married this person to be close to them, to be included, and they're not feeling that. And so yeah. in a way it's almost worse. Mm. Well, that's the thing. And it's not to say that being married will mean you're more lonely. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Not saying <laughs> but, that either. But I think the fact, <laughs> that, that, the, the fact that you you find yourself in a relationship where you thought this was going to be your cure for loneliness, mm. but you've realised that maybe this is actually amplified. Mm. Yeah. An underlying an underlying issue. Can we change tact here just slightly? Um, and I just want to pose something to Steve about a myth that I think is huge today. I see it a lot in our culture out there. And that's what we call the 50-50. And that's that whole, you know, you do your part and I'll do mine. And we'll meet each other perfectly in the middle halfway. Yeah. What about it, that one, Steve? It is a biggie, Nikki. It is. And I think probably more than any other one, we could say that's the natural default that we sort of end up being in if we have no plan, if if we get married. And I remember in, in the early years of our marriage, it's not that we thought, you know, you do your part and I'll do mine and we'll be sweet. Um, we'll meet each other halfway. There's 50-50. In fact, the, the person who says that they'll meet you halfway is usually a very poor judge of distance <laughs> because, you know, that one. <laughs> where is halfway? How can you possibly tell? You know, yeah. if, if I've done my 50% of, say, the housework and, and then I look at Leanne and I think, well, I don't think she's done her 50%. So what happens in a relationship like that? And, and this is the natural default, as I said. So people come into a relationship even without thinking about it and they think, well, I'm doing my part, but they look at their partner. And, of course, we always tip the scales in our favour. We always mm-hmm. think that we are doing more than the other person. Yep. So we look at what we're doing, we weigh that, we compare to what they're doing, and we think, well, they're only doing 40%. Okay, well, stuff that. I'm only doing 40% too. And then what happens is, well, you look at them and think, now they're only doing 30 So it sort of becomes a 30%, 30%, 20%, until you find yourself in a relationship where no one is doing very much for the other it's, person it's that scorecard thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I, was just gonna, I was going to say that. That's the, mm. that's the problem about that is that you're keeping score. And so we all hear that we're not meant to keep score because it's not a good thing. Mm. But just to turn that the other way because you actually can keep score – but we need to do it in a different way. And this is where I find that's encouraging. So Shandi Felden, she wrote a great book called The Surprising Secrets of Highly Happily Married Couples. And in it, she talks about this very thing about keeping score. And she says, you know, oh, we, we, we don't keep score, we don't keep score, we're told not to. However, she actually turns that around and says, you know what, go and keep score. But actually keep score of what your partner is doing of mm. all the good things that they are saying, all the good things that they are doing, the times when they're putting the rubbish out that you would not normally notice or recognise, keep yep. score. But keep score of what they're giving, not of what you are doing. And I love that because yep. that just turns it right on its tail and it doesn't yep. become about me, 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 which yep. is all very selfish and self-oriented. It becomes about the other person. And straight away that changes your focus from what I'm doing and what I'm not getting to what the other person is giving yep and so that is a great place to start it is good it stuff. is it reminds me i'm an optimist 
Mm-hmm. I always think I can do more than my time would actually allow. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just say I don't always do everything that I plan to do, but I do most things and I plan lots of things and I accomplish many of them. So one of these things that I was um, supposed to do or agreed I would do, I didn't do the other day. So Alra was upset, which she had reason to be. I should have done what I was going to do. And we had this conversation and I remember going there saying, hey, but wait a minute. And, and we started talking about the things that I do. And all of a sudden that, that turned mm. around. Mm. And I realized in that conversation, the focus had been what's not been done. Yeah. The focus had been not necessarily keeping score in that sense, but focusing on what hadn't been done. And I don't think naturally we are wired to keep track of the things that have been done. We yeah. don't keep track of the good things. We we only observe the things that are out of place. Mm. Mm. And yeah, sure, the first thing there is to own, oh yes, that's out of place. Mm. I should have done that. Mm. But just to maybe change that perspective of saying, yeah. hey, that's not the only thing No, and that's that actually here. can be a game changer because yep. I've been mentoring this young couple and gave them this concept about a month ago and said, just get a notebook each and just keep score of, of when you notice what, what they've done well, even the little things, you know, mm. made mm. me a cup of tea, um, kissed me goodbye as he left that, went out the, the door. Just those tiny little things made me a phone, gave me a phone call or whatever and just keep a r- running track of all those things. And she said it's actually been incredible, both of them actually. They said we, it's just lifted the whole tempo, the whole atmosphere of our relationship and we're, we're actually noticing more. And uh, it's it's heightened awareness of all the good stuff, isn't it? Rather than because you're training your brain yeah. to look for the good. Yeah, it's amazing how just small tweaks in perspective like yeah. that can make a huge difference. Because it's not, you know, people got to look at that and say, oh, that's just positive thinking. It's just fuzzy, you know. But actually, it's not, and it it makes a huge difference when we look at the the good things, the positive things, the things that we are doing right. Because the reason that 50-50 thing doesn't work is because it's based on feelings. Mm. You know, when I feel good about what you're doing, then I'll respond and I'll do something too. But, you know, experts or research shows that those feel good, you know, romantic, I love you feelings last between nine months to two years. Okay, that's the beginning part of our marriage sorted. Well, what about the rest of it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be more than feelings if we're going beyond that. And and it's like I, I mentioned the All Blacks last time, best team in the world. We won't talk about <laughs> who's got the Rugby World Cup at the moment. I know South Africa, but hey, I don't need to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like um, you, you could ask yourself the question, how many All Blacks made the national team by giving 50%? Yeah. How many Silver Ferns, the national New Zealand netball team, how many made that team by giving 50%. You know, you can imagine turning up to Wimbledon on a tennis Mm. court. You know, you can be sure the guy on the other side of the net's given 100%, you know. And so if you've got two players giving 100%, you've got a great match, to use Mm. the tennis analogy. And, you know, that's probably talking about the positive things and what we focus on rather than look at what the other person is not doing and getting into that downward spiral. If we're looking at what they are doing and maybe even make it a competition and think, I'm not going to let this person out give me. Yep. No, I'm not going to let them win. So they're doing something. Okay, I'm going to do something more. And then <laughs> you, you may find yourself in an upward spiral. Yeah. Hey, what's wrong with that? Actually, Steve, I love that idea because, you know, the whole thing about giving the All Blacks and you talked about the Silver Ferns not giving 50%. So if we took that into our own marriage and said, you know what, I'm going to give 100% like the All Blacks. I'm going to give 100% like the Silver Ferns. You've got two people giving 100% but – 
there obviously are times in life when you can't. Mm. Things happen, and I look back on our own 28 years of marriage, and there were many times when things happened and Andy or I could not give everything that was required of us, but the other person was. And so therefore, that kind of like carried you through those times. And that's the beauty as well of relationship. When we're giving everything that we can, Mm -hmm. when the other can't, you're actually holding that space for them. Yeah. Talking about giving 100%, you guys uh, set this one up for us. So here's another myth. Couples who have been married for a while no longer have an exciting sex life. (laughs) Do we want to go there, do we? (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I like like that one. 50% or 100%, Steve? Uh, I actually think the opposite. Because when you first get married, it's all new and nobody is an expert in this area, you know, straight off. And so I've found, well, speaking of our own relationship, that this area has actually improved and got better over time rather than gone down and got worse. So um, if we're myth busting, I'd myth bust that one right there. Mm. And, and I would too, Steve. I mean, to be vulnerable, I don't think we were very good in this area when we got married and I would take a lot of that responsibility myself. Um, and so I found that... Better sex happens when you've got great trust and you're able to have great vulnerability with one another. You have total oneness that we talk about at our weekend, remember, and that only happens over time. And trust is the foundation of good sex. And so it's a process. It's about learning um, one another's likes and dislikes. It's about having those really deep conversations that are tricky to have. And you can only have those when you feel your heart is safe with the other person. Mm. And so I would look back and say, you know what, the last part of our marriage in this area was much more satisfying and meaningful than it ever was at the beginning. It's interesting you use the word meaningful because um, the popular culture out there today for many is they use the term casual sex. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does that even mean? You you cannot have casual sex. It's mind, body, spirit. It's it's not just the body thing. It's not just two bodies getting together. And you use the word trust when, when two people get together, but that trust isn't built. I honestly don't know how people do it one night stand no thinking through just just our life and and how we've grown together in marriage uh, absolutely our, our sex life is much different than it was when we started much different and much better mm. because we actually learn more about each other as we go that trust develops that deepens and the physical aspect of having sex is probably just the cherry on top of mm the foundation, which is the connection, the emotional connection, the spiritual connection. And I guess over time, you also realize both the husband and the wife can take some responsibility in this area Mm -hmm. where, for me, the act of intimacy is trying to fulfill my partner. Absolutely. And so I'm trying to learn what works for them. Yeah. And it's an act of and it's an act of serving. So I think if you had to put me back in my honeymoon room (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably have a good laugh at myself. <laughs> and, and that also leads, we all would. Yeah. It also leads back though to that first myth that we talked about in this area of intimacy. And that's not that you you can't expect that they can read your mind or that they know what you need. No. And so that comes about having to communicate that this is this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I need. And again, that that we get better at doing that over mm. time. Okay, that's a good myth right there. And um How about this one, maybe as we wrap up for today? We get married and we live happily ever ever after. after. (laughs) (laughs) Do you fall for that one? I definitely fell for that one. And um, and I think the problem with that is that we hear the – that comes at the end of the fairy tale, right? Mm. The prince and the princess lived happily ever after. And that kind of 
that gives the impression that I'm married now, that's the end of the story and that's where we're going happily ever after. And yet you ask any of us that have been, been married and it's not happily ever after isn't the goal. You know, we talk about this at the weekend, remember, oneness is the goal uh-huh. and it, it's about how we do life together. It isn't going to be all happily um, living life on the mountaintops and all roses and, and wonderful visions. It's going to be hard work because, I mean, Jesus told us, you know, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And the important thing about that is to remember that your married life is also going to have its trials and tribulations, but it's how we do life together. We want to do it well. We want to, we want to be fulfilled. We want to be successful. We want to have meaningful enriching married lives together while we ride those challenges out together. Yeah. And, and of course, again, anything worthwhile is worth the effort. Yeah. When people develop effective relationship skills, their relationships flourish. But I think if I have false beliefs or untrue beliefs about marriage, I won't do the effort to mm. go and pick up some skills to improve my marriage because I will just believe happily ever after if I find the right person mm. – and then when it's not happily ever after, I think it's not the right person. Mm. So I think these myths that might be challenging for some, uh, that might set you free, that might be liberating, or hopefully it might just start the journey of saying, hey, maybe there's a different way of looking at this. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's discussion about um, marriage myths. So as we wrap up for today, Steve, any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, if you have any myths, Bring them along to us and we will bust them for you. <laughs> the family life. <laughs> Nikki? Uh, I just want to encourage people, I guess, to um, check us out and we hope to see them in a weekend to remember. Mm. Great. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Family Life New Zealand podcast, where we believe that when people develop their relationship skills, their relationships flourish. If you found this conversation useful and want to help us reach more families, simply rate it, review it, and share it. We'll see you next time.